Hello, I'm Kevin Kittle, and you're listening to The Cinema Files. A few years back, we interviewed writer-director David Bruckner regarding his part in the horror anthology film Southbound. David's latest feature film, The Ritual, which premiered at the Toronto International Film Festival in late 2017, is now available for streaming on Netflix. Days before the premiere, we had the chance to talk to a few of David's collaborators on this film, starting with composer Ben Lovett. Ben is best known for his score on Magnolia Pictures' The Signal, which received an Independent Spirit Award nomination. He's also scored the Duplass Brothers' thriller, Black Rock, and Magnolia Pictures' sci-fi noir, Synchronicity. You've worked with writer-director David Bruckner a few times, second or third time. Yeah, we, you know, we met in college, and we worked on a lot of kind of experimental short film-type formatted stuff when we were both coming up. Um, and then we both got our, kind of caught our first break at the same time when The Signal premiered at Sundance in 2007. And, uh, in that time since then, he has directed, he's been a, a co-director, um, you know, in a, in a series of anthology films. And so this was David's directorial debut as, you know, helming the entire feature. Uh, because he's he's had a lot of success on several movies where there were multiple directors and each of them took, you know, a 20 minute segment, that that kind of thing. Movies like VHS and Southbound and The Signal yeah. was one that was like that. Yeah. yeah so I, when, it, when he had an opportunity to, to direct his first full feature, um, you know, it was it kind of it seemed natural, especially considering that the story has a lot to do with old friends and relationships between guys that have known each other for a long time. And um, it just kind of, uh, it seemed like a natural extension for us to kind of relink, but it's been a long time since we've, since we've saddled up together. So it was, it was great. Yeah. I mean, that's been almost a decade, right? It has. Yeah. It's interesting that these things kind of move in those cycles like that. It, it was 10 years ago this year that we, you know, went to Sundance and kind of kicked off, I mean, all he and I have been doing for the past 10 years is just making stuff and um, continuing to make movies. And I kind of flirt in and out of, um, you know, I have a songwriting and performing and I do album production for people. So I, I kind of float in and out of the film world um, in that in that time, because as a composer, you can't just decide, I feel like we're in a movie right now. You know, right, they right. kind of find you. Um and so from time to time, um, when, when things kind of slow down on that front, it gives me an opportunity to write some songs and go out and play some shows, things like that. Uh, that's cool. Would, if you had to pick one, what would you say was more your, your calling? Is it the, the basic songwriting or is it scoring stuff for film? Well, usually it's like it's the one that I'm not doing at the time <laughs> yeah. <laughs> because, because the grass is always greener and the other one always seems a lot easier uh, when you're not doing it. So uh, I think a lot of guys who spend a lot of time on the road, they, you know, they, they think, uh, you know, oh man, it would just be so nice to just hang out in the studio and, and just make up weird noises and, and, and you'll work on movies all the time. And then when you do that for months and months on end, you're like, God, if I could just hit the road and just play a show and be in another town every night, that just sounds like the life. So I'm fortunate that I so far have not had to pick that there's been uh, some sort of weird 
even though it doesn't seem so in the moment, from the 30,000 foot view, there seems to be kind of a natural balance to it where, you know, when it rains, it pours in one area or the other. So I'm either completely consumed with songwriting and, and producing and, and things on the sort of song side, or I'm just doing movies like I have been right now for months and months, just yeah. jumping from one moving object to the next. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's great. It's, it's always good to stay busy. Yeah. And I kind of feel like at this point in time, the, to make a living where you're making music for a living, you know, for me, it would just, it developed as a survival tactic because you have to be able to learn how to do a lot of things if you don't want to have to get a real job. <laughs> so, so for me, it's just like a, a survival instinct to, to kind of say yes to a lot of things and get involved in a lot of projects so that you always got a pot on the boil and right. uh, keeps you out of the application line at, you know, <laughs> the post office. Yeah, I, I suppose so. I think a lot of people, uh, what you do is, is the ideal of a real job. Um, you, you're being, you're able to be creative and make a living at it. That's awesome. Yeah. And I believe in the value and importance of storytelling. I mean, I, 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 I to the point now where I, um, I can I can kind of jokingly laugh it off and say I don't have a real job, but I certainly I, I feel fortunate to have it. But I definitely take it seriously and put everything that I can into it because, you know, I, I think storytelling is how we got out of the caves. You know, I mean, yeah. it's like it's always been part of our collective experience. and I think it's just a vital part of how we advance. And, I, you know, it's the one thing I know how to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> It's kind of like I don't really have a choice. I'm not really employable in any other field at this point. So that brings me to your your process when you're composing, like say for a film or uh, even specifically the ritual. At what point when you come onto a project are you familiar with the story? Do you read the script, and how, how does that all work out? That usually depends. Um, I have been involved in just about every possible until a composer comes on board a project. Um, and that is to say that sometimes you get a script and they're looking ahead and they're planning ahead before they've even shot. And generally speaking, those are the best types of um, scenarios because you're able to be in on the ground floor. And for something that is so fundamentally influential on the final product, to be able to ha be involved in that conversation and have time for those ideas to gestate and, and develop is only going to help the film. But that said, too often, the, that call doesn't come until a movie is, uh, you know, already in post, it's already shot, they've already edited the thing with Tim Music, and then they start looking for a composer. And way too many productions do it that way. And what ends up happening is it's kind of like, well, we're out of time and we're out of money, but we really love your stuff and we'd love for you to come on board. And oh, we got to get it done in about three weeks to hit this festival deadline. And, and it's just it's just such an unbelievable um, sort of consequence that you're going to put the movie into uh, the circumstances of for something that is so influential on what you actually experience as the final product. So. Um, I'm always encouraging producers and directors and people to get those conversations started early. On the ritual, I did have that luxury to be able to read the script, and I was um, aware of the project before it was even 
you know, greenlit by way of my relationship with Bruckner. Mm-hmm. He said, hey, you know, I, I've, inter- I've pitched on this. It, it's looking like it may happen. I want you to read it. Give me some give me some notes. I need some story notes because, you know, we're going to make some changes in the script. And so we have conversations on a fundamental like story level very early on. So it was a little bit of both in that case, because I did have that. But the but the company producing the movie didn't really make a decision until after they shot. So they were already in post before they made a decision. And it was a requirement that the entire process be done in the UK because it's a UK based film. And just for tax incentive reasons, everything had to be done there. UK musicians, unions, studio engineers, all the money had to stay in the country. And so I kind of was like, well, I'm probably going to be sunk on this because they're going to say, well, why, why fool with having to bring somebody in from outside the country and the added cost and hassle of that? Let's just hire somebody here. But I took a couple of meetings um, and uh, sent them, you know, my agent sent them stuff to listen to. And um, just, I think with, with David's vouch, with the conversations that went well, you know, talking about the movie in the abstract when you get together and kind of discuss how you, how you would approach it. It all just uh, created that opportunity. And of course they were like, so it's not a problem if you have to do this in London, right? Do you, you, do you know people here and have like a network? I was like, yeah, we have in London all the time. <laughs> I didn't know a single person. Yeah. Over. I didn't know where to even begin. <laughs> but I've done this, not my first rodeo, you know, I've been doing yeah. this stuff a long time. And so I just knew that, you know, you don't say no to that question, not if exactly. you want the job. So exactly. I was like, yeah, absolutely. And so I had to hit the ground running and I had to show up in London with the clock ticking on me and had to source the entire thing. So I had to find, you know, arrangers and copyists and a studio to work out of and engineers and, and who am I going to use for players and you know, I have zero favor capital. There's no, there's no friend rate or anything like that. So you're, <laughs> you're just standing out in the rain, getting book rate on everything. And uh, so it was. All of that said, it was, um, it was probably. Pro- I would safe to say it's probably the most challenging experience I've had um, doing a score for anything because I couldn't rely on anything. Uh, that I've done, like, you know, all I could rely on was what was in my head. I couldn't really rely on any other resources around me. All that stuff I had to find. And there were, I think, a fewer number of calendar days to create and deliver the, like, a, there was like a larger number of individual instances of music needed than, you know, it needed like 60 something oh. individual music cues and there were like 60 days to do it or something. Wow. So it was just an absolutely insane sort of kamikaze mission. And I guess when you find yourself in that situation, um, one school of thought is, you know, you kind of give them what they pay for, or you, you sort of manage their expectations or manage how you approach it in such a way that you don't kill yourself to actually do that. But that's not really, I don't really, I haven't learned that yet. I only know one way to work and it's like full throttle, hell's bells, as hard as you can. So I, you know, didn't let that really stop me from trying to make one of the most ambitious 
scores that I have yet. And so basically I just shaved a couple of years off the end of my life over the course of that eight weeks. But, but you know, there's things that come out of that kind of mania of it because everybody was going through it. The ZSX guys were getting killed, the editorial, the sound guys. We were all just put through the meat grinder on that schedule. But I think because of that, sometimes it kind of sharpens your focus and it kind of lets it, you, you have to sort of trust your first instincts a lot of times. And you don't really have a lot of time to sort of dilly dally and deliberate over like, well, maybe I could do it like this. Or what if I change the key? And you kind of just have to really try to hit the bullseye over and over. So it requires a lot of focus and you've got to really sort of become entirely absorbed into it. So that's what I did. Now, would you say that uh, in these type of experiences um, um, where it's, it's very challenging or um, a bit insane, if, if you succeed in that, do you find that more rewarding? That's a good question. Um, I think so, because you're kind of always, I don't know, you feel like you should always kind of be pushing yourself to see mm-hmm. what your limits are so that you know where they're at and they can yeah. inform you in other ways. And so when you kind of go, wow, I didn't know I could. I could do that. And then you're like, I better not tell anyone. <laughs> I better <laughs> never tell a producer that I created, you know, 65 minutes of original music, orchestral, modern orchestral music in like 60 days or whatever to write, record, edit, mix, produce, deliver, you know, meanwhile, taking notes and meeting with people. And, the, you know, it's, it's just I should never let anyone know that's possible. <laughs> do, do you want me to so, uh, strike? Do you want me to strike that from the interview? <laughs> Get some redacted information. Redacted. Yeah. <laughs> no, but but I guess it's it's more useful to other composers and other people to know, like, you, you know, you can do it. You can do it. It you know you it might like I said the 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 eighty five year old Ben Lovett probably doesn't exist anymore. I think I I think I shaved him right off the back end. But I didn't really want to be eighty five. Yeah. yeah. You were talking about uh, testing your limits or, or learning where your limits are. Have you ever hit a limit um, in a negative way? Like you've, you've reached the end and you can't do it or you can't achieve it or you're just not happy with it? Hmm. You know, where I think I run into that is is knowing and learning um, where my limitations, where I hit the wall in specific areas that are required. So I'm self-taught. I didn't grow up. Um, I'm kind of from a really rural part of Georgia and I kind of grew up in a place where I didn't really know anyone that played music or there was no music teacher around or that was in like high school before I ever met a kid that, you know, could play punk rock songs on a guitar. And I was like, wow, that's <laughs> awesome. And he was like, no, nah, you can do it too. You just kind of put your hand like this and you just kind of do that anywhere. And I was like, whoa. So I got a really late start and never had the fundamentals of how to read and write properly. So I've kind of had to pick up and learn a lot of that over the years by a lot of trial and error. And one thing I've learned is I can chart things for, you know, say orchestral players to a certain point, but then I need to, I'm not confident that I can actually put it on the page to communicate to them exactly the way I want it to sound. So Mm -hmm. I've learned where I need to rely on people with those skill sets that I can say, here are the notes. Here's an audio reference of what I'm trying to get it to sound like. Let's make sure that it's on the page that they know those notes should sound this way because there's a million different ways to articulate those notes. You know, you say play an E and play a G, but there's a hundred different ways to do that. 
And so that's where I kind of really start to fall off in, in, a, in a lifetime and a childhood of proper music education is missing. And so I've just learned to kind of adapt and to not, like, I don't let my ego get in the way of actually the music being good. I will go and source whatever help is required because ultimately all that stuff just means to an end. Um, or, or performance, you know, I, I will play some of the stuff and then I will, there will be pieces where I'm like, well, it goes like this, but let's get a real piano player to actually play this beautifully instead of me kind of clunkily working my way through it. Because I can play enough to write these parts, but I often don't want to be, I don't need to be the one performing them in order to prove anything to anybody. You know what I mean? Right. It's really yeah. just about trying to get something good in the end all that other stuff just kind of links in the chain. Right. Right. So it's kind of like you have specialists for every role, which is true in almost any, any business or any performance. Absolutely. Especially filmmaking. I mean, the whole, it takes a village thing is true. And, and it's not just production. I mean, even in post, you know, you need a lot of people with specialized talents to make sure that everything that everybody's doing is just top notch. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, when you are uh, composing or writing something, is this something you, you sit there and you plink away at a keyboard or internalize it? Do you visualize it or uh, imagine it like throughout the day or something? Well, I try that. And um, here's what I've learned in, in years and years of doing this stuff. I've never solved a problem that way. Um, I do. I can hear the things I'm, I'm usually trying to like. It's like you see one of those, um, you know, kind of. Uh, things that you color in paint by numbers or something and the shape mm -hmm. of it is there and you have to that's how it kind of feels like i can hear it or i can sense like a shape of it and i can feel but you're kind of feeling around in the dark and you're trying to fill it in and you don't know which one's supposed to be purple and which one's supposed to be blue and which one's supposed to be pink but you're you have this instinct and you're kind of following that so in that way it's in my head or it's abstract but in trying to figure out sort of what does this need or what should I do about this? Or what, even when it, even for songwriting, what is this lyric going to be here? I have never laid on the couch, twiddled my thumbs or gone for a walk. All that stuff helps, but I've never really ever solved or moved forward on the problem in any other way than just sitting there with my hands on the instrument, on the keyboard, on the mouse, whatever it is, just kind of taking the, taking the hammer and taking the pen and just kind of tapping away until the wall finally cracks. Yeah. For me, I've never really unraveled it in the abstract. I can only change my tactic in approaching it, but really it's just a lot of creating accidents for yourself, just creating different ways to maybe stumble into like, Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's great. It works. That's what I was trying to get. Yeah. But yeah. sometimes you don't even know, you know, you just, you're if it's that stumbling around in the dark, you might be 10 feet through the exit before you realize that you found it. That's sort of what it feels like sometimes. Well, I better let you get back to your uh, passport searching. Passport hunt? <laughs> passport hunt. <laughs> Let's hope I find it. Yeah. All right. Well, hey, good luck with that. And uh, with the premiere tomorrow night, thanks, thanks for taking some time out to chat with us. Yeah, man. Anytime. Thanks, buddy.